Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, where we interview Chris Lopez and talk about what to do with the equity that is stuck in your house. So I think it always comes down to like, hey, what are your goals? And have be realistic about what your goals are, because all real estate is, is a vehicle to get you to your goal. And so I think it's very good as people reevaluate this new problem they have. And while they're reevaluating the problem, the market, also take stock as to what your goals are right now and how they've evolved, because that gives us the the North Star where to go and helps us make the appropriate decisions. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my mind on his money and his money on his mind co-host, Scott Trench. Awesome. Always great. What a wonderful intro from my notorious (laughs) co-host. That's Snoop. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary. (laughs) Did you really think that was the notorious VIG? That's okay. That that was even better. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or reassess your already built real estate portfolio, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Scott, I am super excited to talk to Chris Lopez today. He is a local Denver investor and agent, and we are going to talk to him about what to do with all of that equity that's stuck in your house. But before we do, we have a new segment on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast called Money Moment, where we share a money hack, tip, or trick to help you on your financial journey. Today's Money Moment is if you have trouble saving, use the savings ladder. This is where you pick a reward like AirPods or a spa day and multiply the cost of the item by two to three times its value. Once you hit that savings goal plus the cost of the item, reward yourself. Get that item. After that, pick a more expensive item and start the process all over again. If you have a money tip for us, please share it by emailing moneymoment at biggerpockets.com. And as a reminder, we're always looking for guests to come on the show to share their money story or come on as a guest for our Finance Friday episodes. So if you're interested, please apply at biggerpockets.com slash guest or biggerpockets.com slash finance review. Before we bring in Chris, let's take a quick break. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, Hotel upgrades or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. 
Do you ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. And we're back. Chris Lopez is a Denver real estate agent and investor. He can be seen on the Bigger Pockets YouTube channel, and he is also the founder of Envision Advisors. Chris, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Hey, Mindy. I'm excited to be here and ready to talk some money and some shop. Well, we are going to talk real estate today. Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself and what specifically you specialize in. So like a lot of people, real est- uh, being a real estate agent and being a real estate investor was not my first career. I turned 40 recently, and about eight years ago, I was ready for my second act in life, which was moving on from my first businesses, which was a lot of internet marketing and a lot of day trading on the stock market and the foreign currency market. So short answer is I learned a lot on internet marketing and had a lot of success there, and I did horrible, like most people do, in day trading and foreign currency trading. And so all that made me go back to realize, you know what? Real estate is where I wanted to go to when I was 20, but I didn't have the resources or money to. But now I'm in my early 30s. I got experience, got some money, got a lot more experience. I can go out there and start doing it. So at that time, I decided to pivot my career towards real estate because I needed a new source of income for my business. And I also want to get into real estate investing. So I'm a big believer in the more I can merge like my interest and my career with my long-term you know, retirement goals, investing goals, the better it is. So I did a fix and flip, made money, but hated it. Tried wholesaling. That was not for me. But as going out there and talking to real estate agents and go out there and starting to do real estate deals, I realized, wow, there's a huge opportunity out there in the, in the real estate agent world to go out there and be an agent, to help people go out there and do what I want to do which is not fix and flip or make a short-term money wholesaling, but how to go out there and invest so over the next 20 years, I can hit my retirement goals. So I took my internet marketing skills, leveraged that to become a real estate agent to start building my business, getting my name out there and generating leads. And I did the niche on uh, helping people invest in real estate here, local in Denver. And so I very much have focused on the Denver locality and that longer-term real estate investing mindset and trends. So uh, that brings us to present. Yeah. So one of the challenges that Denver real estate investors, myself included, probably you included, Chris, and Mindy, you as well, is we've done really well over the last 10 years <clears throat> investing in, in, in property here. Property values have gone up a tremendous amount. Um, you bought a property five, six, seven, eight years ago, it may have doubled in value or close to it. Um, we may have re cash out, refinanced a few properties. Um I'm sitting on personally a pile of equity and I feel stuck. I'm very happy to have this problem. I'm not complaining about this problem, but I am stuck, right? Because if I sell the property, I've got to do something. I've got to pay taxes um, on the on the gain. I've got to uh, pay off my mortgage. And then I've got to redeploy this cash into something else that's going to make sense. If I, like if I bought another property, for example, without a 1031 exchange, I'd be swapping my 3% mortgage for a 5 or 6% mortgage. If I 1031 exchange, I'm doing the same thing. Got to exchange the mortgages. Uh, if I cash out refinance, 
to pull cash out, same deal. I'm swapping my low interest rate. So this this problem of rising interest rates, I think, has really created an interesting problem for those of us who have been investing. And I was wondering what your thoughts are in uh, uh, in, in accessing that equity and and how do investors deal with this good problem? Yeah, and and that's the way to start off with. It's, it is a great problem to have. Like it is the first world successful problem. And places like Denver, Austin, Salt Lake City, a lot of the, the markets that have seen appreciation the last decade, they're having this problem. And essentially what it is is, you know, someone bought a property a couple, you know, a few years ago at a seven, eight, nine percent cap rate, a very good rental. Fast forward, you know, rents have gone up 40, 50 percent, values have doubled or tripled. So now cap rates have compressed. So now cap rates are four percent, five percent. And the lower the cap rates, usually the worse the rental is as a rule of thumb. And so it it brings up this interesting um, challenge for people to say, hey, I'm making pretty good cash flow on my property, $800 to $1,200 a month off a single family rental here in Denver. I've got $200,000 left in my mortgage balance at you know three and a quarter percent, but my property is worth $800,000. And it's all the points you laid out, Scott, as to, to what do you do. So I think it's really important for people to like first like take a step back and do like the the global overview of like what their goals are. Because like I'll use myself as an example. I started buying real estate when I was single. Well, now I'm married, I have a new business, and I have two little kids. My life has dramatically changed. So my goals have changed, and also how much time I want to put into my real estate investments have changed as well. I want to spend time with my kids, not going out there and painting walls. So I think it always comes down to like, hey, what are your goals? And have be realistic about what your goals are. Because all real estate is, is a vehicle to get you to your goal. And so I think it's very good as people reevaluate this new problem they have. And while they're reevaluating the problem, the market, also take stock as to what your goals are right now and how they've evolved. Because that gives us the the North Star where to go and helps us make the appropriate decisions. And I mean... A lot of times there's no like right or wrong answer for people when it comes with equity. And I think it's very important to first look at, hey, if I sell this, what are my tax consequences? I mean, I've house hacked, Scott, you've house hacked, a lot of the bigger pockets listeners have house hacked. If you're an opportunity where you can sell a property and you're in that two out of the five year capital gains exclusion, well, then it might be a really good time to buy and just take $200,000, $300,000 of equity off the table. Take that gift from Uncle Sam and run with it. Now, the vast majority of people cannot, you know, access that uh, that capital gains exclusion. Um, and then people get fixated on, oh, well, I don't want to get rid of my 3% interest rate. Well, yes, but I would not just look at that one metric because there's a lot of scenarios where by holding on at 3%, while you are saving money in interest, you're saving a dollar over here but you're actually missing out on $10 in wealth creation over here by not redeploying it with leverage and a better cap rate property. So it comes down to actually running multiple scenarios a lot of times. Hey, figure out what your goals are. And then what can I do with that property? And let me actually just run scenarios. Should I pay it off? And for a lot of people, that's not the right answer because if you need to accumulate more properties for your retirement goals, well, paying off for property is not going to get you there. Can I I ask a quick question here? You you said- Redeploying the equity from my property into a higher cap rate property could be a good idea, but like I'm I'm an investor here in Denver and I'm arrogant as all heck, and I think that I bought some of the best rental properties, cash flowing rental properties here, and I'm not convinced that the cap rate on another property here in Denver is going to be 
higher than uh, the the ones that I own. I think I bought. I think I, I constructed a reasonably good uh, uh, good portfolio with this. So, are you suggesting in this case that I go out of state, for example, and go into another another property? Or I, I wonder if many investors feel like their their portfolio is reasonably uh, has reasonable uh, uh, cap rates there, um, and, and is you know at least for the condition of their property among the better types of cash flowing investments in their area. What what's the what's the cap rate of one of your properties? Ballpark. Sure, I'd say um and I use rent to price ratio price ratios uh as more of a rule of thumb. But I'd say it's like in the 0.65 range price rents to to value. So what a, so a 5 to 6% cap rate? Sure, if we're if we're being nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So, I mean, so. And that's high for Denver. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times, like, you know, a lot of people have bought, especially here in Denver, I'm using, I'm using extreme scenario because it does depend on what your, the, the, the current valuation of the property is. A lot of people make the mistake, oh, I bought this property seven years ago. Great. That doesn't matter anymore. You bought a 9% cap rate property. We got to use today's numbers. Um, so from all the, uh, the analysis I've done, the rule of thumb has been if it's below a 4% cap rate property. 4% cap rate with a PM fee, it often makes sense to sell and redeploy or 1031. If it's above a 4% cap rate property, a lot of times that means, hey, refi and redeploy. Now with higher interest rates, things have changed, you know, the spreads are harder, but I found that 4% cap rate to be the threshold. And a lot of times it's like, hey, people have a 3.5% cap rate property because they bought a property in like, you know, Sloan's Lake, which is a area that's gone through massive appreciation in Denver. We'll sell a 3.5% cap rate property, and I'd say you need about a 1.5 to 2% cap rate increase along with increased leverage. So a higher cap rate, higher leverage is the key to making it worthwhile in that transaction. Okay. I hang out in the Bigger Pockets forums all the time, and you can find those at biggerpockets.com slash forums. And I find that the concept of cap rate is confusing to even some very experienced investors. Can you explain what you're talking about so that people who are listening who are probably very confused can understand? Absolutely. And and thanks for bringing it up. So cap rate is essentially your net operating income divided by the current value of your house. <clears throat> and so what that means is you take your rent, you subtract all your operating data. So basically everything other than your mortgage payment. PM, repairs and maintenance, taxes, insurance, HOA fees, landscaping, whatever it is. That gives you en- your net operating income. And it's just another way to evaluate how that property is performing. And I personally, I, I, I do cap rates. That's worked well for me. And it's also good because if you have debt or no debt, it's a way just to understand from a high level how properties can perform. I know a lot of people use like GRM or gross rent multiplier cap rate. Very similar concept, just a little bit more advanced and nuanced. But I find it's a very good way to help from like, you know, high level talking, sniff test. Hey, this looks good. Or hey, you got a 4% cap rate property. Here's some high level stuff you can do. And so I was using kind of a concept of GRM, right? Where rent to price ratio is an inversion of GRM uh, to think about my property's cash flow. You're saying cap rates, cap rates are better. I should have been using, um, uh, should be using cap rates, but I'm, I'm really looking at it as a rent to price ratio. Um, at the highest level, uh, although I can easily spin it that way. But anyways, so you're saying that uh, a low cap rate property, something in the four or lower range right now, which many investors may find they have in Denver specifically, could be retraded 
for a property that can earn a six or seven percent cap rate um, in the market. And this could multiply your returns depending on how you leverage and the assumptions you make, right? So, so tons of caveats in there, but you could be suboptimally deployed, is what you're saying. Uh, with, with one of these properties. How do I justify, how do I, like, I have to make so many assumptions and I have to believe so many things to get to what where you just kind of came from, where, where, get to arrive at the destination that you're at, right? I have to believe that my appreciation is going to be this level. I've got to understand the difference between the, the interest rates on the debt I have currently versus that I'm going to get on a new property. How do I wrap my head around all of those puts and takes to feel confident that if I've at the, at the conclusion, oh, if I'm, if I own a property at a 4% cap rate, I should, it's time to sell it and redeploy it into a higher cap rate property. You turn to your calculators and spreadsheets. So, I mean, a, a real simple thing is, I mean, you know, hey, go use the BP calculators um, and go plug in the rental spread, go take the rental spreadsheet calculator and plug in the rental you have today. But don't use the numbers you used five years when you bought it. Use today's numbers. Hey, what is today's value? What is today's rents? What is today's operating data? And underwrite it as if you're buying the property today. Because every time you sign a new tenant or sign a new lease or you refinance it, you're essentially kind of repurchasing the property for a while. So let's, hey, go through scenario and say, hey, does this property make sense? So you can do that with you know the BP calculator and then figure out how it performs. So I, I looked at a client's property last week, and this is a very common example. They bought the property for $300,000 in Denver. Now it's worth like six fifty. dollars they got $200,000 mortgage, 15 or a 3% interest rate loan and 400k in equity. But it's a 3.5 3% cap rate property. Great. Go plug in the calculator and see how it performs. And then figure out how much equity you have. In this case, let's say $400,000 and you know just round up or round down for some, you know, selling cost fees, um, assume a 1031 and play some scenarios like that and say great, if I got $500,000 to put down, I'm going to go buy this other cap rate property. It might be in Denver, might be in your local market, or it might be out of state. Um, you know, just, hey, whatever properties you're looking at, go plug in. Hey, if I sold this, took the equity and bought this higher cap rate property, how's that perform? Now, what we're often seeing, and again, take this from a, a Denver perspective, that person sells that property for $650,000. They pay, they pay their realtor fees and, and closing fees, 1031 it. Uh, they're going to buy a place, you know, like, like $1.1 million or so. But to make it cash flow, we're like a 35, 40% down payment, you know, at a 7% interest rate. And so what happens a lot of times is in that scenario, they sold it 35% down and they go from a three and a half to like a five and a half cap rate property. So pretty conservative and pretty realistic their cash flow will stay about the same. However, their total valuation goes up and their net operating income oftentimes more than doubles. And so I often look at that, hey, that is a future dollar, that is a future value. And this is for like really, I'll say more hands-off investing for people that want to go out there and you know find a value-add property. This is more like, hey, I just want to go out there, look at some properties, redeploy my capital. I'm a busy professional, I'm a busy person. For that type of speed, you're really more just looking at redeploying your capital. And that's where it comes down to, for a lot of the clients I talk to, myself included, I'm not living off my cash with my properties today. I have other income that does that. And all my rentals is for, it's my retirement, it's my investing pool. So I don't need massive cash flow there. Now, I want my properties to cash flow, but it kind of comes down to, hey, do you want more cash flow today? Or do you want to trade up to make more cash flow in the future? 
And so a lot of times, even with these very extreme examples of a low cap rate, high equity property, while it's not as good as it was a year ago, it still makes sense in the 10, 20, 30 year chess game of real estate investing. I don't know if I answered your question there or muddied the water. No, I think I think that's I think that's right, and I think that the you know you you I, I love your answer, um, and not just because it was a plug for our calculators at biggerpockets.com/calc, um, but because you're, it's like, hey, that's the answer is go plug this stuff into a spreadsheet and make some decisions, right, and make some assumptions. And one of the key assumptions that's going to be in there is, you, you, look, if you're, if you're analyzing a new property, you're going to be able to get the down payment, all of the basic numbers around rents, cash flow, and all those kinds of things. Hopefully, if you're a real estate investor, you're pretty comfortable with making those types of assumptions. But the key ones in this analysis are going to be the interest rate on your debt <clears throat> that you're going to get um, on the new property and the appreciation rates you have on rent growth and price growth over the next 30 years, and in particular, in the next couple of years with that. Well, 30 years, over, uh, if you're thinking long term or, you know, a shorter term, if you're thinking shorter term. And that that really matters. And I think it'll be really interesting. I think folks will find that if they don't believe that appreciation is going to be very high, the redeploying strategy is going to be pretty, uh, could, could, could cost them. It could be pretty consequential. But if you do believe in appreciation over the next couple of years, and you can put in a three, four, 5% appreciation number, um, then what you're saying will work out really, really well. Is that, is that largely accurate, Chris, in your experience? Yes, but I have to push back on the appreciation assumption. So you're right. I mean, like, you know, I don't recommend underwriting, you know, 6%, 8%, 10% appreciation. I didn't recommend that years ago. I kind of underwrite 3 to 5% for historical means. Um, now, the next year or two, I'm saying, hey, we'll probably be flat, at least in Denver. We might give a point, we might make a point, but just kind of assume no appreciation. <clears throat> I think the more important thing there is, because you're right, if you do crazy assumptions, you will get out of whack. But even if you buy like another property, let's say you sell in Denver and buy in Denver from a 35 to 55 cap rate property. If you're actually doing a real underwriting on there, you're still better off from a pure wealth experience or wealth building experience because that is still a higher cap rate. Now, if it appreciates or the rents grow faster, that is a big fat cherry on the top, which will increase your returns. But even if appreciation and rent growth is relatively flat, which you know for most of the country, I think it's how it's going to be for a year or two, or you know it'll be negative three to plus three for a lot of the areas, so flat it can still make a lot of sense and still be the right move in the long-term wealth building. So appreciation is not going to make or break it. I would just underwrite very, very conservatively at like, you know, a zero, 1% for next year or two. And then probably goes back to three or 4% in the long run. The other thing too, is you look at like opportunities, this has been a few things because I, I recommend people go out there and just, I mean, play around with a ton of, ca of calculations. Like <clears throat> in this case, hey, I'm a Denver investor, sell in Denver, buy in Denver. And you do that in your market. Now you also say, hey, sell in Denver and buy out of state at a better cap rate because Denver is what the most expensive non-coastal city now, I believe. So, you know, cash flow is very, very tough to find. So go underwrite, hey, if I bought this. And then I went on a crazy amount of underwriting deals, like, hey, well, I don't give up my 1031 exchange. What if I sold it and rolled into a DST, a Delaware Statutory Trust? Yeah, you save your money on the taxes, but over the next five years, since you're making a 5% return, you actually start losing money in the long run. Um, I ran scenarios of, hey, if I actually just paid capital gains, I should walk with $400,000, but $100,000 goes elsewhere, but I think I $300,000 and make another investment in real estate, into a syndication, into another business, but I get such a higher IRR, it can still make sense to say, you know what, it's worthwhile to eat those capital gains. So 
my, I'm not giving recommendations on here. My point is a lot of people do a lot of what if stuff. Well, do the what if stuff and run the calculations through a, a spreadsheet or the bigger pockets calculator. And it, you can take that one calculator and do it all for your property, uh, a property in your market, an out of state place, uh, a DST. You can put in the figure out a passive investing, things like that. Hey, what are those returns like? And what are those tax consequences look like? Get the big picture of things. And then the next level is actually go through and make sure you talk to your CPA. What are the tax consequences? Because um, a lot of times, I know for my own personal use, I estimate what I would owe in depreciation or capture and capital gains. And my guesstimates are not very good. So I talk to my CPA. Um, and also look at the stuff. I was like, yeah, you can go out of state and cap rates are higher, more attractive. But now you have to have the added expense um, of traveling and developing a new network in the market which is not good or bad, but those hours and expenses usually don't show up on the property underwriting. So I'm a big believer in like run a bunch of scenarios and then look at the metrics and then also look at the tax consequences and look at, hey, how much bandwidth and money does it take for me to actually go execute this new strategy and just have fun running scenarios. I like this advice a lot because it can be really easy to get caught up in FOMO or whatever the market is doing right now. You're a real estate agent. Remember spring of last year when everybody was buying and you couldn't even get an, a showing at some times on some of these hotter houses, or you would go in and it's just this revolving door of people and you would lose your one of 37 offers. And so I can see people getting really, really excited about that. This spring is starting from what I've seen so far, it's starting to look like that again. Not to the extent because we don't have the great interest rates, but it's still in the Denver area getting really, really hot. So it could be tempting to sell. Oh, I'm listening to Chris on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, and he said that my cap rate isn't great, so I should sell. No, he's not saying that. He's saying run scenarios. Run a lot of scenarios. Talk to your agent and see what they think you could get for your property. Run the numbers based on that amount, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, but see what all of these options are going to get you before you jump in with both feet, you sell it, and then you're like, oh, I can't do a 1031 because my timeline ran out. Like I know enough about 1031s to be dangerous. There is a very specific set of time that you have to buy a new property, to identify three properties. And if you don't, your 1031 is out the door. If you don't get somebody in advance to take possession of the money for you and hold it, your 1031 is out the door. Like if you take uh, possession of the money, then you now owe all those taxes. So there's a lot of planning involved. But if you're thinking about selling, run the numbers, make sure it makes sense, run all the numbers, talk to people. I love this so much. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP.
Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. Yeah, Chris, it sounds like there are a couple of options here. I can sell the property, I can refinance the property, or I can do nothing and let my low interest debt amortize. I have chosen let my low interest rate debt amortize, right? That, that's been my, my approach currently. Um, I'm not sure if that's the right approach, and I need to, I need to question it. Um, and, and in the case of selling the property, I have two options there, 1031 exchange or just harvesting. I have option A, Part you know, sell part A is ten thirty one, and sell part B is harvest the gain. Do you have any case studies or maybe scenarios you could walk us through of folks who have chosen each of those options and why they've done it, or or maybe 
maybe uh, examples from your personal portfolio? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And one thing I want to jump back around what Minnie was saying, my my favorite thing about what I would recommend after you do all the scenarios and talk to people, and I do this all the time, my favorite feature of Bigger Pockets is the form. I like I like reading other people's posts, but I also post my own. And don't post, hey guys, I think about selling the property, what should I do? Don't do like a, a lame post like that. Do a post like, hey, I, I ran a scenario, here are the numbers, and I ran three upsides for this, this, and this. Here are my numbers, here's my thoughts. BP community, give me your feedback. And you'll get a lot of great feedback. You also get people reaching out to bring other opportunities, so always do your due diligence. But like the community on there, I think that is the absolute best part of Bigger Pockets or my favorite part. So do all that and then share it with the forum and and get the get the group thing going on. Love it. Bigger Pockets calculators and Bigger Pockets forums. That's right. And post a smart question and you'll get smart answers. A smart response. And you'll get a lot of different responses. Hey, I like what this person's saying, but I don't think they took this factor into account. You'll get people who are very experienced telling you what they would do in that situation. And most likely they will expound on why. People in the forums love talking about real estate. And you know, it's a little bit different for us, but because we're in real estate, but when you love talking about real estate and you're a real estate investor, nobody else in your life cares. They don't want to hear it. They only want to tell you about the bad experience they had. But in the Bigger Pockets forums, you've got people who are doing it, people who've been doing it longer than you, who have scenarios that you may not have been through yet, where they can give you experienced advice. Yes. And I didn't mean that to sound like a commercial, but... No, but I mean, is it is a asset out there, guys? Use it. I mean, I've that's been one of the best assets I've used in my real estate career as an agent, as an investor. All right. So going back to some some examples here. So um to take one step back, like my degrees in financial planning, and I've always had that longer term planning desire. I don't like doing it in stocks and bonds. I'm like, hey, put in an index fund and that's boring and set and forget it. Real estate's a lot more complex. So what I do for myself and what I do for my clients, um, I've kind of put together a five-step framework and I'll frame it with this. And this will walk through a couple common scenarios we see out there in the marketplace. So step one is, what is your goals? Like I talked about, revisit what your goals are. Real estate's a vehicle to go there. Step two, look at your total portfolio. Like a lot of people look at their rentals, you know, isolated, but hey, across your five or seven or 10 rentals, how's it perform as a whole? Just like you would look at your IRA, your 401k, this, hey, how's it all performing as a whole? The third step is to go out there and start looking at your individual properties, your individual assets. Hey, what are the opportunities? What are the numbers? Do a SWOT analysis on there. Step four, run the scenarios like we talked about. And then step five is write your action plan. And so this is very good for investors. And also if you're an agent out there, I have found this to be a very good, an amazing client value add tool to my clients. So uh, me and my team do about 30 to 40 of these portfolio uh, sessions a year, or I'm sorry, a month. And these are kind of like your annual financial planning sessions with our clients and for ourselves as investors. So we get a lot of good data. We see some trends on there. And to kind of bucket some common examples out there is it comes down to a lot of people are like nearing retirement. Well, for them, they usually have like they're less growth focused and they're more income focused. So they might be in their 50s or 60s, starting to retire, or want to take a step back, 
kids are going to college or out of the house. You know, they don't need a ton of future income or a ton of future growth. They need more income next couple of years. So that's a very different case than someone that's, you know, like, you know, me, where I still need to accumulate more real estate to retire at the level I want to over the next 10 or 20 years. I'm still in my accumulation phase. So for people that are often in their, you know, re nearing retirement phase, um, it can make sense to pay off the properties and say, hey, if you have these properties paid off, what's the cash flow? But at the same time, you run scenarios, hey, at that same time, if you pay off these properties, hey, look at a triple net. Hey, look at a debt fund that might pay 8 or 10% yield. You know, you can do different things like that, but it, you have to make sure that aligns with uh, that goal. And so for a lot of the people that are in that retirement phase, a lot opt to go out there and just continue to pay off their properties. You're like, hey, if you just pay off your properties, you're at your income goals. And so then a lot of times they'll take like the debt snowball approach and like start, you know, paying off one property or, you know, the lowest balance or the highest interest rate. So, hey, start paying that off and then pay off the next one, pay off the next one. And a lot of times they'll sell like one property that's their dog property or, you know, call to her like, hey, this property, it's the pain in the butt. I hate it. It doesn't perform well. Great. Well, get rid of that. You know, appreciation party over move on. So for a lot of people, paying off the property can be a really good move. Now, however, if you say, hey, if I pay off the property and I don't have the income I want, we have a problem there. So, you know, we, we had a great discussion about a topic like this on Bigger Pockets Money, uh, a show 322, why your rental property cash flow isn't what you think it is. Um, and we had a guest there who had nine rental properties and was living paycheck to paycheck because the cash flow was not there. So if you're wondering about this, if you're not sure, you could be in that situation if you have a couple of rentals where at least a few of them are break even at best and maybe negative cash flow. And I think in that situation, you've got a clear like that, like you will discover that by following the five steps that Chris outlined. And in that specific property by property analysis, you'll determine which ones probably uh, should consider selling or exiting. So Chris, have you done this with your own portfolio in the last year or two? I have. So I did a, um, I did my own portfolio review. Um, I did not make any moves this year. Uh, and that was more because my, my portfolio is actually, it's pretty well optimized with the cap rates, the loan to value, but also going into the, the uh, outside factors is my career, my business is a real estate agent, all real estate related. Well, I'm very conservative. And since, you know, we're going through choppy times and most people's income in real estate has dropped this year, right? And, you know, for 2022, 23, it's lower for a lot of people. So I'm like, hey, I need to, I'm going to be very conservative of my investing because I got to make sure my day-to-day -day income is fine. And so I don't want to go out there and start trading up or tightening on cash flow. While it makes, some, it makes sense from the investing standpoint, it doesn't make sense from like the global standpoint of what I need to do as an investor right now. So what I'm doing is I've got uh, two properties um, here in Denver Metro that, I mean, they're good rentals, but like I said, they're, they're not my favorite, not, not my favorite ones. Uh, I would not be unhappy to move them. So I'm planning on, I've talked to my property manager, uh, leases will come up due around December time is what we're shooting for because the best time to sell properties here in Denver is springtime, like right around like mid February to like end of May sweet spot for listing a property. So I'm going to make sure those leases are up and then I have time to get the tenants out so they can go find a new place to live. And hopefully I have, you know, three to six weeks to go in there and do any type of updates I need to do. Because most rentals, um, you know, they need some love. They need some TLC. And a lot of times you're better off putting in, you know, five to $15,000 in some work 
and then sell it to an owner occupant. And you'll, if I spend three, you know, for every dollar I spend in making it prettier, I should get three to four more dollars in return on that. So, hey, where's that sweet spot for me to make it very owner occupant friendly to maximize my dollar? So I'm starting to plan on that. A lot of clients are doing that. Um, one really interesting thing, this has been so fascinating. So going back to this high equity, low interest rate scenario, a lot of people are like, hey, my rental is good. They're a 4 or 5% cap rate. They like the rental, good part of town. They don't want to touch it, but they want to redeploy the equity. Um, we've been doing a lot of HELOCs. Like there's one bank that I know of in, in Colorado, they're usually very tough to find like banks that will do investment HELOCs on uh, investment properties. So a HELOC is a home equity line of credit. And they typically don't, they're not like a 30-year mortgage, but it's more like the, you know, the check uh, credit card on your property. We have a lot of people who are doing an investment HELOC on their investment property. And then they're drawing, going from like, you know, they have a 30% LTV, they're taking out 20 or 30% of their equity and then redeploying it um, either into a rental or some type of like syndication strategy. And they're able to kind of like have their cake and eat it too because they have that low 30-year fixed interest rate and they're able to handle some variable interest rate, but borrow at 6 7%, but go get a 15 to 20% return. Who is doing this HELOC for investment properties? Because I have not been able to find anybody that does investment HELOCs. Well, uh, DM me on bigger pockets and I'll tell you. Maybe. <laughs> um, no, so a lot of this comes from, and so, you know, with, with this, so these are, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll happy to share that, share that name with you and, and give my contact over the Mindy. Um, awesome guy. But you want to look for local banks. The big banks and national lenders, and probably the person that gave you your 30-year fixed conventional loan, they're not going to be the right guy or girl to give you that loan. They're, they're Fannie and Freddie conventional lenders. And so the big banks will not give you this, but find a local bank, like a, a state chartered bank or credit union a lot of times, and they're the ones that do HELOCs. And that just comes down to, like, I talk to 30 banks, um, plus I got my network of out here. And I know one bank that will, I know a couple of banks that will do it, but very few will do it if they don't own the first position. And a lot of times they don't own the first position. So it gets very, very nuanced, but that is where like a lot of people get frustrated at real estate, like especially like tech guys and stock guys. I'm like, well, real estate's not efficient. Yeah, call 30 lenders. It's not fun, but that's how you find the gold. So I I, I love this as an approach and as a tool. I I do want to caution that I I am not a fan of using uh, an investment HELOC at six seven percent interest to then redeploy into syndication type investments. I think that's that's really tough arbitrage, um, and the cash flows and, the, and timings from those syndications cannot be quite as good um, in some of those cases. It's an it's a very aggressive play, so just remember that if you're going to do that kind of strategy, it's it's much more aggressive than redeploying the equity from a rental property into a, a, another property. In my opinion, using thirty year fixed rate debt. Yeah, and this is where like I, I you know for a lot of people doing it, they own eight rentals and they're doing it on like one or two, so they're still staying very balanced in their overall equity position, and their their blended fixed interest rate is three and a half. And now they're adding on a very small amount of variables. So I totally agree with you, Scott. Like it is, it is more advanced. It is higher risk, and we have people doing that to rentals, doing that to funds or syndications. Um, but it's definitely a much more advanced technique. And make sure you have the uh, the cash to uh, ride any waves from there, ride any punches from there. And, and I do think I do want to say I think it is wise to go out and see what you can get 
for an investor HELOC. If that's available to you, it's always good to have access to the credit, even if you aren't going to use it. Yes, that definitely saved my skin on our property. Uh, It wasn't an investor HELOC. It was a HELOC on my own house, but I did some financial monkey business and I needed access to quick cash. And I thought I might need access to quick cash. So I opened it up, but I didn't take anything out. It was just sitting there. But then when I needed it, it was there to pull. Um, Is an investment HELOC at the same or similar rate to a personal property HELOC? No, a lot of times, um, you know, it's more like prime plus like, you know, one to 3% where a lot of times owner can be like prime plus zero or prime plus like zero to one. So you see the spread there. The other thing is for a lot of primaries, like, I mean, there's a lot of credit unions and banks around town that'll go up to like a 95% or hundred percent combined LTV. They'll do very high LTVs. Again, go in there with caution. Um, you know, you have to be smart with the big credit card. Um, but an investor HELOCs kind of where they tap out a lot of times is like a, a total combined LTV of 70 to 80%. And combined LTV means, hey, what's the percent of that, you know, 30 year fixed first position payment? We had the HELOC on top of there. What's those two combined? And so investment HELOCs, the best I've seen, I say best, the highest LTV is 80% combined LTV, which is still incredibly high for an investment HELOC. Can we go through a couple of examples from perhaps clients that you've worked with of folks maybe going through various of these options? Have you talked with somebody and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to pay the thing off and say, forget it. Or I'm going to... I'm just going to let it. I'm just going to let it sit and do nothing. I'm not going to pay off the the debt early. I'm just going to let it amortize. And then, if you had some folks that have gone through this, and what was their rationale in the recent past? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all the above, and a lot of it kind of comes down to what their goals are and what their overall risk tolerance is. Um, I mean, I've got clients right now that are selling a property and they're going to do a 1031. Some are staying local. Some are going out of state. Great, you know, various options on there. And, you know, their rationale in that case is, hey, the appreciation party is over. You know, for Denver, like, you know, the crazy appreciation, it's over. Now, you sell now, you might give a couple points back, but who cares? You made 40%, give two points back the last two years. And they're still saying in the long run, I want to go out there. A lot of people are saying, hey, this property is a class C property, headache property. I've, you know, it's no longer a great rental. I want to move it into a better location or class A property, lower headache. So it should be lower maintenance. Um, a similar higher cap rate, but more hands off. And that's partly like investment, also partly just makes their life easier as a as an investor. I got a lot of people as well, actually majority of people saying, you know what, I'm hanging tight for the year, which hanging tight for the year and just kind of letting cash stay in the bank, bill, and continue to pay off a of debt is never a bad move. Um, you know, if you're not sure, pumping the brakes um, is not going to hurt you like, you know, there's no one deal that you'll miss out on that's going to make or break your career. But if you do a transaction, there is a deal that could break your career. So don't worry about the big one that's going to make you rich. Worry about the one that's going to like blow you up and set you back 10 years. And that's what can happen. So it's always being mindful. That's a lot of people are sitting tight. Like I said, they're doing what I am. Hey, I'm in a good position. My properties perform well. I'm a good LTV. I'm sitting tight for a year. Um, and then... The people that are doing more of the advanced strategies of putting a second on there, like a second fixed or second HELOC, um, these are not people with like one property that are doing it. These are people with like five to 10 properties 
and they have good cash flow and they're doing on like one or two properties to like, you know, increase their global LTV from like 30% to 40%. So they're still a very low LTV and their blended interest rate goes up by a little bit. And they also have the cash in the bank and the rental coming in to like be able to fund all the payments and also withstand like, oh, I made that move and I thought I was going to make 20% IR and I'm making the 7% IR now on this property. They can handle that black guy. But you know, it, it, the, the risk reward ratio is correct for them, but they are capped, uh, they are properly capitalized and they have good income coming in. Chris, in this market, is there ever a good case for a cash out refi? We've had, I mean, I am old enough to remember 7%. My first mortgage was a 7% loan and I thought I was hot snot for getting that 8, 7% loan. And now we've had two, three, 4% loans for 20 years. People are are freaking out about these current interest rates, and I can understand why uh, a cash-out refi seems like a bad idea on paper, but it can't be all bad. As with most things, it depends. Um, but some high-level stuff. So going back to the example where I said if a property is at a 4% cap rate, that's often kind of like, that's my rule of thumb. That works well in Denver. I don't know how that translates to other markets. I assume similarities, but again, that's my disclaimer. High level, if the property is above a 4% cap rate property, a cash out refinance can make sense. Um, if it's below 4% cap rate property, it usually doesn't make sense. But now I'd say it's even probably a bit higher. I probably need to up my rules of thumb for cap, you know, uh, cap rates in the new market. Because if you do a cash out refi, you are repurchasing the property. Um, and I seriously doubt if you did a full cash out refi, the product would still cash flow. Most of the times it's not a negative cash flow. So of all the reviews I've done, of all the clients I've worked with, I can't think of anyone that's done a cash out refi right now in the current market. There, there might be one or two, but I'd say it's as close to zero as I feel comfortable publicly saying it's zero. Um, most people are opting to like sit tight and do nothing, sell uh, and move the money or put a HELOC on there to access the equity. Um, but if you already have a poor rental property, doing a cash out refi at 7%, is usually not a good thing because now you have a negative cash flowing asset that's at a poor cap rate that you're now reinvesting. So like for the vast majority of people, um, I don't think it really makes sense to have negative cash flowing properties. Once in a while, for the very small part, port, a small part of your portfolio, yes, I can make the exception to that rule. Uh, but for most people, why do you want to have a asset that will not pay for itself? And so if you do a cash out refi, a lot of time that becomes negative. And that's where it becomes a liability um, for most people. So I haven't seen many cash out refis. And I don't see my investors or clients doing it either. I get that question a lot. And I haven't seen any reason to do a cash out refi either. If you have a property that you bought before the interest rates started going up last June, then you should, if you want to keep it, keep it. And HELOC to access the the uh, equity short-term. I do agree with Scott that HELOC money should be short-term money. Um, But then, yeah, you either keep it or sell it. And if you're going to keep it, then keep the low interest rate. It just doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know what you would do with that. You know, but again, it depends. Uh, Most likely it's not going to work out. Run your scenarios, just like you said before. If you can access that cash in such a way that it will, like you found a killer deal and this is the only cash you have, that could be a very, very specific 
way to use the cash out refi. But yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, uh, ex- except for in the cases of those who are extreme bulls about the real estate market and want to just buy a lot more and pull out their cash, um, refinancing from a low interest rate mortgage to a much higher one does not make much sense. So I see the use case for this slowly coming back over the next couple of years as people buy with interest rates at current rates. So if you're buying a new property at six, seven, seven and a half percent with an investor loan, and then you burr it next year, if you want to refinance at a 7% rate and pull some cash out, that would make sense to me. And I think so that's, I think you're going to see a temporary lull in, in most refinancing activity. That's obviously already here. Uh, I think that's going to continue and come back slowly over the next couple of years. Yeah. And I haven't talked to, I mean, I talked to a lot of lenders and I mean, uh, the, the refi party ended about a year ago. And uh, that's why we saw a lot of layoffs in the uh, lending world as well, because the refi party ended. I agree. Like it just not a big play right now. So it's a very small use of cases right now, but there's usually makes sense for someone, but that's 0.1% out there. Chris, this has been fantastic. Thank you for coming on and showing and, and, and talking about this, this good problem, how to, how to deal with the equity that you've got perhaps trapped in your rental portfolio if you've been a long-term investor. Um, where can people find out more about you? Uh, well, you can always Google me. I'm a marketer here in Denver. So if you Google Chris Lopez Denver, you'll find me. But the absolute best place to do it is uh, Bigger Pockets. I'm on the forums there and shoot me a DM. Uh, that's really the only social platform I actually use myself and respond to because it's actually useful information. Um, so I would love to connect with people people on bigger pockets. Um, cause I truly love like jamming and talking about real estate and also like learning what other people are doing. So bigger pockets is the best place to go. Awesome. Yeah. If you're in Denver, Chris is always willing to meet up. I've met with you a couple times recently and, uh, yeah, feel free to also, if you go into bigger pockets forums, reach out to me as well and I'll, I'll be happy to meet with you. So Denver's a fun place for investors. We'd love, we love, love to grow the network. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. This is a blast to come on here and get, uh, I love like talking more technical stuff like this. So this is this is my absolute cup of tea. So thank you guys. Thank you, Chris. This was super fun. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. All right. That was Chris Lopez. That was a lot of fun. Scott, I we brought up a lot of things that I hadn't really considered before, but also the the advice that sticks out over again, just you know, with every show we do is run your numbers, do your homework run the different scenarios. Don't just fly by the seat of your pants. See what is the most financially advantageous path for you to take. Don't just, everybody else is selling, so I should sell too. That might not be the best option. That might be the best option, but make a solid decision based on math, not emotion. Yep. Love it. You know, Chris says, start with your portfolio ask yourself the question, is that going to achieve what I want it to achieve, right? Then boil that down in inside of the real estate component of your portfolio on a deal by deal basis. Are each one of these deals contributing to that larger goal? And if not, am I going to pay it off? Am I going to do nothing and let my current note amortize? Or am I going to sell an exchange or sell and capture the gains? Complex set of decisions that you have to make here. A lot of thought energy and a lot of know-how needs to go into that. Um, luckily, we've got a uh, platform called Bigger Pockets to help you uh, discover all the ins and outs of those types of things and make those kinds of analyses on the properties component of that. Um, but I do want to also give one other kind of uh, 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 you know question. I want to pose one other question to this, this, this issue, which is what would you do with if you converted your entire portfolio to cash? If I 
if I just handed you that in cash, how would you deploy it? Would it be the same way that you've got it deployed today or would it be something different? And if it's something different, why don't you back into that and say, how do I begin making moves today with all the additional cash I accumulate or maybe even redeploying some of the assets in my current portfolio to get to that state that is my desired portfolio? Ooh, I like that question a lot, Scott. How would you deploy the cash? Would you deploy it the exact same way or would you make changes? That's interesting. I think, honestly, I would be pretty much the same way that I am right now. I like my portfolio. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my portfolio, but I do think that a big one for folks to, to ponder is debt. I've been talking about this a lot lately, but uh, you know, I, I got a question the other day from a BP Money listener and they're like, hey, I've got this big portfolio, but I don't generate any cash flow. The portfolio is like two and a half, three million dollars. How are you not generating any cash flow? Oh, it's because we're deployed like this. Well, if you just, if you bought a mortgage, if you literally like investment mortgages are nine, seven, or seven, seven and a half percent right now for 30 year investor and mortgages on investment properties, you just put a couple hundred grand into one of those mortgages by a single mortgage. And you've got just from the interest, your dollars $40,000 a year in passive cash flow. So something to noodle on for, for folks out there that are wondering what to do um, with their portfolio, um, consider debt as one of those places where you might redeploy uh, to a larger degree, especially if you want that passive income. That's an interesting scenario, Scott. I like it. All right, should we get out of here? Let's do it. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, talk to you soon, baboon. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.